I'm Dave Monaco, Alan Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to From My Angle. President Michael Sorrell, Paul Quinn College, good to see you, my friend. It's always good to see you. Thank you for having us out at your campus, which is teeming with activity and uh, new buildings and, and lots of exciting things going on. So before we dig into some of the topics around education and innovation and leadership that are uh, the subject of the podcast, uh, tell us a little bit about the Paul Quinn story uh, to, to you know, give us a, an idea, especially those in the parish community of, of this gem of a place and, and your history here. Sure. So we are 146 years old. We were founded um, to educate free slaves and their progeny. Uh, the school was originally in Austin, Texas, founded in the basement of a church. Uh, it was there for five years and then relocated in 1877 to Waco. It was on it was a Waco College at the time, right. then it was given the name Paul Quinn College. Um, and it stayed in Waco until 1990. And the school was always an institution that was very committed to educating students who didn't have a lot of options, mm-hmm. right? And their vision for it was to give them really strong Christian centering and, um, and principles and, and just to help them have quality lives. So the problem became that those types of institutions didn't have enormous endowments. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were founded by the African Methodist Episcopal Church, right. which did a great job of running the school and really maintaining their sense of independence with the students would learn and things like that. So you fast forward to the 80s, 90s, and you know, early 2000s, and the school has sort of fallen into some hard times. Uh, by the time you get to 2007, uh, Boston Consulting Group had come out and said that the school had a year to 18 months left to, to be open. Um, that is when the chair of the board at that time called and offered me the job. Yep. Now, you know, just like anything, people don't tell you, you know, if, you, if it doesn't work, we'll close the school, right? Yeah, like, yep, which yep. is effective. There's some work to do, but it, not exactly how hard the work would be. Right. <laughs> um, and so we, what was really attractive to me was one, um, some of the best people that I met when I first moved to Texas were Paul Quinn alums. And they were just extraordinary individuals. Um, everyone in my family went to historically black colleges. Mm-hmm. Now, my family tended to go to places like Morehouse and mm-hmm. Spelman mm-hmm. and Howard and FAMU. Um, but I'm the only person, with myself and my, one of my first cousins, are the only people in our family who didn't go to historically black colleges. So we are who we are as a family because of mm-hmm. these institutions. Um, but the board gave us the latitude to say, let's just blow it all up and do something different. Yep. And the question we came to ask ourselves is, if we were gonna design a higher education institution for today to address the needs and the issues of the people that we serve, what would that look, what like? It look like? And that's what we're in the process of doing now. So, you know, you, we got down to 150 students by January 2010, which, I mean, I tell people all the time, when you lose 400 students your first two years as a college president and you don't get fired, yep. 
either nobody else wanted the job yeah. or the Lord was smiling yeah, on it's you, no right? question. I think it was probably a combination <laughs> a of both. Yeah, I remember I drove up, I got to parish in, in 2009, and I, I, we've talked about it, you were one of the first person I, persons yeah. I came out to see as a, as a community uh, leader, and so I drove over here, and um, I, I drove onto this quiet campus with some dorms that were in disrepair. And we came had up 15 abandoned buildings. 50, right point. up at the front along the line of the fences coming in, and I remember sitting in your office and, and asking you, so how many students do you have? Sounds and, like five. Uh, I know, yeah, more than that, but it was about that. It was, 100, it was 145, 150, yeah. and, uh, you know, you'd been there a year and a half, and I was wondering, what is this, you know, super intelligent, well-educated community leader thinking he's going to pull off here? Uh, and now you've done it, 500-plus yeah. students, and you become a work college, some things we'll get into in the conversation. I want to start a little bit uh, on this very topic that you were talking about, of uh, the, kind of the redesign of, of higher ed yeah. and your aspiration here, I think, to build a model of serving today's kids uh, and, and students here with uh, the skills and equipping them with the skills they're going to need for tomorrow's uh, complex world. Um, as you look at the broader landscape of higher education, uh, you know, what I see is a system that's buckling under significant pressures, financial pressures, uh, stress and anxiety pressures of their students, uh, questions of value, questions of purpose of the work. Um, I sent you an article recently about your, your yeah, alma mater, Oberlin, yeah. uh, you know, uh, 117th largest endowment in the country, nearly a billion dollar endowment, $750 million endowment, and yet making huge budgetary cuts uh, because they're in a part of the country demographically where small private liberal arts colleges are having a tough time uh, finding enrollment. So, you know, when you sit back from 30,000 feet as a, as a higher ed leader, uh, what do you see ahead for higher education? next 15 to 20 years, essentially the generation of kids that I'm serving right now yeah. at Parish, our, our four-year-olds, you know, what do you see out uh, 15 years from now in the world of higher ed? Yeah, I think those are excellent questions to be asking ourselves. Um, look, part of the problem <coughs> is we built the system of higher education on elite schools. Now, full disclosure, all of my degrees are from elite institutions. I got one from Oberlin, two from Duke, and one from Penn, right? The system works for me, right? It worked. But the problem is we sent this message that if you weren't here, you were nowhere. And so the majority of people were being educated in places that higher education itself was saying to them, we devalue you and we devalue your academic experience. And by the way, we're not even going to address the things that you say are important. You just need to do what we tell you to do. So it was this incredibly um, paternalistic view of, of life and it alienated a lot of people. And it also alienated a lot of institutions. And you know, I'll use my experience here. So my entire life, I worked in great places, the best law firms. I worked in the White House. I represented NBA lottery picks, right? Like all these things. So I had this resume that spoke to nothing but accomplishments. I made a decision to come to Paul Quinn, right? I came here because I believed. I believed in these students. I believed in the mission. Mm -hmm. I believed in the legacy. And I was treated horribly by the powers that be in higher education. Because you didn't have the you didn't have the background. Because you hadn't come up through the system. I, I hadn't come up through the ranks yep. and because of where I entered. Yep. Right? So the presumption folks made was 
I'm here because I couldn't be anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I must not be who my degrees say I am, yeah. who my experiences mm -hmm. say I am, but who my institution right now says I am. Right. So if you did that to someone with my background, who knows better, <clears throat> just looked at you and was like, I think you're crazy and I'm about to prove you mm -hmm. wrong. What about people who didn't have that that reserve of experiences. Yep. So here's, here's the thing. Higher education should be about solving the issues of the day that are important to the people we serve. Period. Mm -hmm. Okay? Civics, civic engagement shouldn't be poverty tourism. Right? If your students are going back every year to the same things and it's never improving, you are part of the problem. Mm -hmm. What we have done here is we've said we're going to turn the entire institution outward and address the issues of the communities we serve. We're in a food desert. We're going to cut the football program and we're going to turn the football field into a farm. The city had a garbage dump closer than a grocery store. Well, we're going to fight back about that because that's what the We Are Not Trash was about mm -hmm. because people deserve better than that. Why would we continue to shackle our students with enormous amounts of student debt when we have the ability to create a model that does something different? All of these things are what higher education should be doing. But see, we can do that because we were unencumbered by a history of success. Mm -hmm. We don't have a billion dollar endowment. The system hasn't worked well for us and the students we serve. So of course we can rip it up and challenge Rebuild the notion. And I think more and more schools are doing that. And again, nothing wrong with the amazing institutions for that sure. are out there. I benefited from them. God willing, my children will benefit from them. Yep. Because that my wife went to Warden. She went to Sloan. Like, that's what yep. we do. But we spend our days fighting for all kids to, and all students to have an extraordinary educational opportunity, regardless of what their background was. So here, so uh, react to react to these things that I think might happen, mm -hmm. and tell me, eh, maybe, not possible. Um, that 15 years from now, uh, out of a private school like uh, Parish, uh, not all 100% of those students will go directly to a four-year brick-and-mortar college. There are going to be alternate pathways. Uh, through degree, certification, badging, credentialing, work-study type programs that may enable a person to start uh, a, a higher learning um, experience later than uh, 18 years old. So I think that presumption will be the moment the revolution is televised. You think it's possible? Oh, I, I think there's no way to say it isn't mm -hmm. possible, yeah. right? The reality of it is, <clears throat> what parents who, as a parent who sends his child to independent school, right, what we are looking at aren't those alternative pathways, right? We're looking for the keys to the kingdom. The narrowest of pathways the is what we're looking for, pathways, right? It's right? Like, like, we're it's playing, like 50 schools, that's essentially, that's right? Exactly that take right. Like less we're, than 50% of applicants. We're playing that, that, those odds, yeah, yeah. right? Now, that being said, what I think, when you look at places like Minerva, Right, the Minerva sure. Project, like, and what Ben is doing out there. Yep. If we define what you're articulating, mm -hmm. if Minerva's in there, yes, right? Like that's a non-traditional place, and I love what he's trying to do, and I, I, I'm, I support it. I bet on Ben. I think they're going to win, but if Ben doesn't win, someone will take that experience and build on it and figure out something else. So. 
I think that happens. I just don't know how it plays because, you know, look, your parents are some of the best educated parents in For this sure. area, right? Yep. And I don't know how willing they'll be to be open to the idea of that. But it only takes one kid, one set of parents to start that trend. Or a demystification effort. You know, we at Parish think a lot of it is around demystifying what folks are already beginning to understand is that not every 18 year old's ready to go to a college experience that in 2033 is gonna cost $340,000 to go to a place like Hamilton where I went or Oberlin where you went, uh, make that investment at 18 if they can't really see it being uh, work that's gonna connect them to meaningful engagement well, that, beyond. Right? And that was the arrogance of the yes, sector. that you talked right? about, for sure. Is that, how do you not have that conversation? How do you pretend right. that parents aren't concerned about that? How do you tell them, don't, we don't need to talk about that. Yep. Like, you just have to trust the process, right? No, you have to create a process that is respectful of what parents are concerned about. This is an enormous amount of money to spend. Absolutely. Okay, and you're betting on tomorrow being phenomenal. Yep. Right. Yep. And you know, I think that um, I think that when you look at all of that, right? When you look at what families are doing, what they want, what's important, um, we have to address these issues. Yeah, and if a learning experience is seen as primarily transactional, seat time for a degree, and if these degrees, as Minerva is doing, as other entities are trying to produce now with uh, work, work experience programs, et cetera, uh, if they offer a, life, uh, a pathway to a life of meaning and purpose, I think, I think customers, my, my supposition is not all, at a place like Parrish, uh, maybe 10%, they're gonna start looking uh, at these al alternative pathways moving forward. Um, you think we're going to see school closures or uh, university constriction yes, yes. in the next uh, decade to decade uh, and a half? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't see any way that can be avoided yeah. because the economics just don't work. Mm -hmm. Right. I right. mean, look, there's only so many people that are going to spend $70,000 a year on an education. Mm -hmm. Okay. Little known secret much of higher ed was underwriting that with international students. Right. And, and, dis and discounting. And discounting, right. 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 So now you've made it harder for international students to come <clears throat> or made it less desirable because of just everything that's going on in the country. Then you take the discounting issue, right? And for people who don't really understand discounting, discounting effectively is just how much money do I have to pay you to come to my school. To fill our seats, right? Like that, that's it. And so yep. when we made a decision, so you know, four or five years ago, we cut tuition by $10,000. Yep. And created a model where our students can graduate owing roughly $10,000 or less if they choose to. And you know, there were some folks who were like, oh, how can you do it? You're not gonna collect the money. It's like, listen, we were only collecting the same amount of money anyway. So why don't we just charge what we really were receiving and create a system that works. And that's, that, have, we've received a tremendous 
response from doing that. Yeah, and I want to shift a little bit to the innovations we'll see in the higher ed because I think you, you all certainly have demonstrated it here. I pay attention to higher ed, you know, because for me it's a canary in a coal mine. Canary in a coal mine for us. We're a tuition-bearing uh, institution. We've got many of the same financial pressures that uh, higher ed universities do, and, and I think the value proposition of, of independent schools like Parish are, are going to be increasingly under intense scrutiny uh, in the next decade to come. At the same time. We are like you at Parrish. We are unencumbered by 100 years of tradition, having just added a middle and upper school in 2002 to a school that had been around since 1972. So, you know, we feel we've got this incredible uh, opportunity, yeah. uh, especially compared to, uh, to public systems, uh, to be uh, innovative, to really be independent, to truly set an aspiration forward to what a new independent school model might look at. I think there are higher ed university leaders across the country. You and I admire some of the same. Michael Crow at Arizona State, Joseph Woon at uh, Northeastern, they're, they're out there uh, to, to be found, who are understanding that uh, merging of disciplines, teaching in an interdisciplinary fashion, ensuring that uh, the linking work that's studied on campus to real work experiences in the community is, is, is important. Uh, and, you, and you know, just in yeah, a second, the data is unmistakable in that space, right? So. 50% of college students wish that their universities had helped them connect it that way, right? right. That they had gotten more real-world experience. 79% of employers want first-time college <coughs> students, I mean, first-time entry-level employees to come to them with experience. Yep.